Welcome to Build with Rob. I am Rob Deerdick, CEO and founder of The Deerdick Machine, a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea. The science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible, universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my do-or-dire partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today, we've got Emilio D'Angelo, the CEO and designer of St. Midas, a jewelry brand that creates products that are built with intention. St. Midas is a profitable venture that is now poised for long-term growth, and this episode is about our journey that it took to get there. When we initially decided to partner, it was because Emilio was selling hundreds of thousands of dollars of costume jewelry online. And I thought to myself, man, we could take this base revenue and scale this into an incredible company. The problem was uh, we never got that chance to scale it into an incredible company because by the time we developed St. Midas, he was no longer able to generate the same amount of revenue. Here we will explore the idea of pivoting to pride. Uh, you know, when you're building a company, you got to ask yourself, will I be proud if this fails? And I know that's a little counterintuitive because nobody sets out to fail, but it's the difference between chasing money and pursuing something you can truly stand behind no matter what the outcome. Emilio, welcome to Build With Rob. How does it feel, man? How does it feel to be on the show? <sighs> Amazing. It's like a manifested reality right now. It's pretty sick. I mean, look, you could say you manifested it if it was like a show that existed all this time before and that you watched it all the way from Australia and was like, mate, one day I just want to get on the bill with Rob show. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur, mate. And what I want to do is I want to get on that show with him. I want to build a company with him. Uh, but that's not quite uh, how it worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although there might have been uh, some manifestation. Did, were you aware of me down in Australia? Like, do they have Fantasy Factory in Australia? Of course, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. No, my whole skating early life when I was a kid growing up, for sure. This is like, one day I'm going to figure out how to work with Rob, you know? Like, yeah. And then here we are. So you trying to tell me down, in, down under, you were like, someday, just maybe someday. Yeah. Or was it more like you got out here and then somehow got like bumped into Brian and was like, man, these guys, man, I might be able to work with these guys. No, I just like always looked at who's at the top of skating mm -hmm. and wanted to be around those people. Okay. And uh, you were there, Paul, Shane, you know. Uh, okay, look, for, you know, we're here to talk about our venture, St. Midas. For people that aren't familiar with what it is, explain what St. Midas is. St. Midas is a jewelry company. Basically, we just do jewelry with intention. So each piece has an intention behind it. Maybe it's like gratitude or direction. And that's where it is now today. And that's where we kind of settled settled in. But yeah, so that's basically where St. Midas is right now. And, and look, it's been quite a journey, right? Yeah. And, and we're going to lay out that journey today because it's a, an unusual lesson for me to go through, right? Because it really ultimately was this idea of... 
kind of got caught up in, in the success that you had and was really looking at like the money that could be earned mm-hmm. and ended up really needing to pivot the business multiple ways, not only to, to have the business survive, but ultimately pivot the business so that we could be proud of it. Yeah. Right. right yeah. It's like an unusual path, mm-hmm. you know, and I describe you as a Swiss army knife doer dyer who possesses a timeless creative touch, right? And the reason I do that is because explain to everyone, what are all the things that you do for St. Midas? Um, Firstly, that's very humbling. When I read that, when you wrote that um, a while back, I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like that makes me feel like exactly what I am as well. So basically I build the website, I do the ads, I shoot all the content, uh, design all the jewelry, uh, manage all the marketing and infrastructure right now, co-manage finances. I don't know what else, but it's I mean, like a long... design, like do all the graphic design, <laughs> yeah. every last ad design. I mean, literally every single thing to do mm-hmm. with the entire company that you have, you you literally fully create it or manage it completely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's an extremely wide array of skills. Like w- at what point did you even develop all of these different skills, especially photography and graphic design. Like what led to cre- to learning all of these things? Well, my dad's a photographer. He's a big uh, car photographer in Australia. So I grew up on set as a kid, just shooting and assisting and all those kinds of things. And then the design element came in when we had a creative studio that we set up in Australia that was my uncle, who was a creative director at a big agency, my dad who was a photographer, my two cousins who do web development and design. So we're all kind of like, living together in this one kind of creative space and I would just pick up from my cousin like design cues and then I would try and like do extra work and like assist them and so design came in like at that early stage. And so really even that studio you you learned everything there. Yeah. Right? So you got to to learn web design, you got to learn graphic design, all mm-hmm. that and what was the primary focus of that studio? Basically like each person was working separately in separate offices. And we all just decided, like, let's all come together. We're a family and we'll just work in this one office. And if there's projects that we can all do together, then we'll do it all together. And what type of projects? All I can picture is like car dealerships. And like we, I, I just picture like these local businesses of building like websites and graphic design for a local down under lawyer. I don't know where I went. I went to Irish. I got Irish there. And I also say Australia. Does it sound country? Does that sound Ohio? Australia? Yeah, when I say Australia, does it sound normal? It sounds normal to me. Yeah, yeah. good, good. It feels feels Melbourne Ohio is me. the one you got to emphasize the Ben on. Yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. say Mel, Melbs, Burn. Yeah, Melbourne, Don't say Burn. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> probably where I'd go. But look, so what type of companies were you guys uh, doing in that that stage? A lot of like real estate stuff, mm. uh, photography. Mm. Um, I should have said real estate. <laughs> I went car dealership. I should have said real estate. Uh, there's um. My cousin started a business called Squeaker Dogs, um, which was like a, a, a light up dog collar thing. Another guy who we helped build his mattress website. He was the first person selling mattresses online before anybody else in America, before anywhere. Mm. And I was like, you are crazy, but we'll help you build it. Yeah. Yeah. Because back then it was like nobody would buy a mattress online. They've got to try it to know if no, they want it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, of course, let's let's be real. The mattress business is also 
when you start to look at lifetime value mm -hmm. of a consumer, uh, how much money will that consumer spend mm -hmm. with you and throughout their lifetime, it's literally the worst. They're yeah. buying one bed. Oh, so sure. if you sell one, that's it. You got them. They're going to keep that bed for 10 years. Yeah. So don't ever start a mattress company. And when you start a company out there, understand that lifetime value is the purchase behavior of your consumer and how many of your products will they purchase in a year, two years, three years, five years. And if you choose a bed, they're only buying one. Exactly. And those companies really peaked um, in that early Facebook time mm -hmm. when fa anything you put on Facebook would convert. So all these mattress companies, if you remember like four years ago, were everywhere. And that's because like Facebook was so easy to convert customers. And now as it's become harder, you see how many, how many ads do you see these days? It's like there's only like the few that kind of were able to ride it out. Yeah. Well, they, they transitioned. A lot of them ended up going to uh, traditional advertising, mm -hmm. back yeah. to television, yeah. you know, vertically integrating in kiosks mm -hmm. and malls, right? Yeah. Because, you know, they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, literally paying like two Gs to acquire a customer, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and the digital performance marketing game and direct-to-consumer, it's really how much do you have to spend in order to get somebody to buy your product? And the lifetime value connects that because if you spend $500 to get somebody through advertising to buy your $1,000 product and then they buy two or three of them, now your lifetime value is 3000 and only costs you 500 to get them. Mm -hmm. You're in the game. Mm -hmm. But the difference with that world is, you know, you're spending, you know, $2,000 to acquire a customer for a $999 purchase yeah. and that's it. And you know to maybe I mean? upsell them on some sheets in the future. Maybe, right? So this is a good segue for really how we came together to build this company together, right? Because you were uh, what I'd like to consider a rogue performance marketer, right? Where you're just like looking for different opportunities, you know, your skill set and everything of being able to throw up a site and, and shoot photography of products and do graphic design. You were able to, you know, whip together a company and test it mm -hmm. and really try to try to get a product to work. And you did just that, yeah. right? So... You decided to source the jewelry from Alibaba mm -hmm. to kind of take on this sort of world of like, there's a ton of people buying jewelry and costume jewelry and, and tennis change and different diamond jewelry. Walk me through how you decided to build that brand and the performance of that brand mm -hmm. as you started. Yeah, it was kind of a fluke, you know, finding that product. It was like testing a bunch of different products online, me slapping together a quick brand and a website, testing it out, and then jewelry really hit. And I was like, okay, like this is a fun, more fun than the other things I was trying to do. So um, I started basically small tests here and there, like $50, see how it does. And then I remember like, I'm like, okay, I spent $50, I made 100 mm -hmm. I was like, okay, sweet. And I'm just drop shipping from China. Like literally found like a dodgy supplier. The quality is not that great. But 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 just for clarity, right? Like you sourced the product, so you didn't even have to worry about bringing it in and mm -mm. putting it. And you know, a lot of times, if you were to start a company, you got two options, right? You bring it, you mail it to your house, and you ship it yourself. Yep. You get a a third party that will take the product and then act as your distributor, right? A three mm -hmm. PL, as they call it. But being able to sell it directly, ship it directly from China is this amazing, like, clean way for you to build a business, right? Yeah, it's a great way to test, for sure. 
And 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 it's a what a lot of the people that build sort of what I consider me too companies, mm-hmm. uh, where you just w- look at a product that's working, you make a version, spin it a little bit and sell it. Yeah. And you went out and sourced all this again. And here you are moving jewelry. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and what how much jewelry were you selling at its peak? <laughs> so uh through drop shipping in a few months, I think I started in March and then by July I think I'd done like seven hundred K. That's what I'm saying. In sales, yeah. And how much of that was was net profit? I couldn't tell you. You know, like, I think, like, it was okay, but my financial literacy back then was atrocious. Yeah. So I let, I kept, I'm like, oh, this dollar's turning into $2. This $3,000's turning into 6000 You know, I'll just keep going like that. But as you grow with that kind of mindset, your budgets get slimmer. You have more customers that you're acquiring, and then there's more returns or more missed items, all these problems. And the chaos was now, okay, it might be easy for this direct ship from China if I'm doing Mm $2,000 a month. But now, you know, at your peak, what were you doing? What was the biggest month you had in that zone? I think 300K. This this is what I'm talking about, people. This man did just like sourcing through Alibaba and building his own website, did $300,000 in jewelry in one month. But it wasn't sustainable and it was like total chaos because yeah. of the returns and the, the how poor at scale that mm-hmm. relationship of drop shipping directly from yeah. China was working. And I was basically in the process of switching the business model. So I was uh, trying to acquire my own jewelry with our logo on it, everything, and ship it to the States and ship it out from here ourselves from a 3PL. So I was in that transitional phase when like, I've got all these customer problems and I've got uh, inventory I have to purchase, uh, chargebacks, all those things. And that's when things like really came like into a struggle zone, like with my just management of the company. And then that's where we came in. That's where you guys came in. And and really the the process for us was like, look what this guy just did by himself and the amount of revenue that he was able to generate. And hey, we can we can help clean a lot of this up, help with the financial stuff, mm-hmm. help put credit lines involved, like help really maximize this. And that's really ultimately why we decided to create this business together, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, for me, it was like, ah, oh, man, it's like, you know, it was called Gold Lords, you yeah. know what I mean? With and a with a Z. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I struggled even from the beginning of like, ah, oh, it's just all like costume jewelry and blinged out stuff. And it's like, you know, I don't necessarily connect with it, but I was getting boy, am I getting caught up by that revenue? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and the first thing we had to do was, was you know, make a great brand, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, let's transition this from hustle to creating an amazing brand. And, and, you know, I really think you did it first try, right? It was like, we got to make a, a real brand and make mm-hmm. something that's sick. And you came back and delivered it first try, right? And again, lay out where you got it from and ultimately what it meant to you when you developed the the name St. Midas. I was wanting to do Mercy Midas. That was my first thing that came into my head because I thought Mercy was a cool word and I thought Midas, you know, the Midas touch and the whole relevance of that in jewelry. Yeah. And again, that is what stuck with me and I love to this day, Mm -hmm. right? Is that, you know, the whole idea of the story of King Midas and this idea that the saint visit him, 
the angel, power. yeah, and gave him the power of everything that you touch turns to gold, you know, and it ultimately becomes a curse as he touches his children, you know. Right, yeah. And it's fitting for me too in hindsight because it's like I <laughs> I was looking at it yeah. less as like, hey, you know, if you pulled everything aside, Rob, would you do you want to build a fake uh blinged out jewelry business? Yeah, yeah. I would just well, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. But I hey, do you want to do this jewelry business that makes all this money that could be highly profitable? Cause even, you know, look, it wasn't like when we built the financial model that it was just built by two homies. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Like our CFO consultant, the great Brittany Stewart, is a direct-to-consumer yeah. master, yeah. right? And and for her, she went in and validated like both you as a performance marketer, someone that 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 is uh, you know, really understands acquiring customers and and you know, that first year wasn't like we were shooting for the stars. Mm. It was like, hey, let's just replicate what you did by yourself and now do it with a little bit more organization. Easy peasy. Yeah. Five million dollars in revenue. Yeah. Uh, Two million dollars in profit. Mm. We're split. Clean as a whistle. Yeah. Clean as a whistle. Yeah. So nice again, little dividend play. Yeah. So to me, like when I'm when I'm back on my St. Midas, you know, my Midas touch vibe is like, man, we make this thing right. And and you know, what we talked about was, hey, let's let's use this jewelry as sort of a Trojan horse to build a lifestyle brand, right? And like with all of that additional capital and growth, like you can do all these different interesting things. And I, I think even in the beginning there, it was fun, Yeah, you know, in the development side, right? Because you guys were de- designing and developing an amazing line of apparel at, you know, at some point it's like, you know, there were jeans on the table and style, yeah. you know, yeah. like when Idan was brought in, like he had so many like manufacturing relationships mm-hmm. and, and sort of different, like, uh, stuff as it related to apparel and streetwear altogether, you know, the vision was, hey, this thing's going to make so much money. We can blend it into like this dope lifestyle yeah. brand and mask sort of that it was built on, you know. <laughs> yeah, like phase that out. Like, yeah, fake, fake diamond chains, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen, no. right? Yeah. And what happened in that first year? Because, you know, I would say... Not only because, you know, again, the numbers you were doing were in the previous summer, took us a while to get fully reorganized, get fully set up again, redo the entire brand, now set it up official and launch it. And the reality of it is, is by the time we launched it, like the entire marketplace had changed. Yeah. Like, like overnight. And explain from your perspective sort of all of the things that had happened that made hitting that 5 million yeah. uh, basically impossible. So we like shut down Gold Lords probably like two months while we were developing this new brand. So we just basically took it all down. We're developing this new brand. St. Midas is ready to go. We've got new jewelry in. Bear in mind, everything that I was doing on Gold Lords, like I put a dollar out and I'm getting back 10 really, yeah. you know, and it was just easy. It was very easy. <laughs> no. uh, uh, look, man, and me, it was, it was, it's what I loved about it. Yeah. You no. know, I'm like, I don't care what it is. Look at that. Like, you know, like really, really into the money side, yeah. you know. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, this is going to be so easy to convert customers. Like as soon as we launch with this, we've got a new brand on the, everything. We've got really high quality jewelry. We have all these things. I got this whole like new financial uh, set up going on and uh, we launch and it's literally crickets 
Yeah. Like nothing's converting. We're spending thousands of dollars, like trying to get back to where it was. And I'm just like, give it time. I've seen this happen before with like other people I've done ads for. Like it, t- it takes a little bit of time to ease back into it. And like, so we're just trying and trying and trying and just nothing was sticking. And look, and it was also, there began, that was also in the era, you know, it was the first transition from the Facebook era where it's like, as long as you were the first person there with the product, you were going to sell a lot, convert at a high uh, customer uh, acquisition price. Like you're going to be like really, really making money easily. And it was, it perfectly landed when the algorithm changed and basically it just sort of not only the, the algorithm changed and then there was almost like a flood of new people and new advertisers and new people spending money to get that same space almost in the same identical time, right? And what was it like, you know, hey, I committed, we built, I put up the capital, let's go, let's chase down this divvy, you know what I mean? Let's go, let's go get rich over yeah. here, you know what I mean? What was the pressure like? As those months started to, to build here and like, I mean, didn't matter what you were trying, you just were not generating or converting the customers like you once were. It was extremely, probably the most stressful time of my life. Yeah. Just <laughs> between that, uh, I was getting married as well, like planning all those things, hiring staff overhead for the first time. I've never managed people before in my life. So having to manage all these like different people coming in and out and all these things and like, just hoping that something's going to work and it just, everything I was doing just didn't work. It was yeah. very defeating, extremely defeating. Yeah, look, it, and it's it's the idea that the pressure was mounting. And for me, when we launched it, I, tr- you know, tried to mask it in some like, you know, it's it's some jewelry and it's a lifestyle. You know, I, I tried to mask it mm. in lifestyle, but I was getting blowback of like, what is this? Mm. Like all of a sudden, you know, cause you got to think, you know, you got outstanding foods and pig out and 333 and $10,000 attaches and, you know, all these other things. And then all of a sudden people are like, and you're making like fake jewelry, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and it's easy for me to be like, yeah, but this guy's a, you know, performance marketing master and like, <laughs> we're, you know, we're going to do like 10 million this year. You know, if it, if it was about like, Hey, this is how you really yeah. drive revenue. But when it, man, when it landed on like, man, now you're, you're getting blowback for sort of this like style of jewelry and then it's not even hitting. Now it's costing like burning through money, right? <laughs> yeah. It was a double whammy, you know, and, and something that I really never expected to go through. And I mean, then it was just deep, dark, choppy waters from Mm. that point, right? Because now it's like, okay, what do we, like, what's the move here, right? And now it's this sort of mentality of like, what can you evolve it to, right? We turned it into a house of brands at one point Mm -hmm. and you went and designed all of these different, (laughs) you know, linked and and so many different, like, Mm -hmm. you know, eyewear lines and accessory lines, you know, like, and and all of it was amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's another testament to like your skill set of being able to create like, you know, a house of brands overnight. Uh, and how do we build, you know, rather than just jewelry, how do we evolve this into like, affordable luxury goods and hit sort of the luxury wave. But again, it was 
it was counterintuitive to the purpose of luxury, mm-hmm. right? And and here we are again, another deep, dark, dark world, like yep. road of like, man, we can't quite get there. And so, you know, I don't. I, for us, what we had to, you know, kind of come to grips with along along the way in this path was like, wow, it's like not only is it is it not working, but right now the only thing that's selling. What was the main? What was the driver of the entire business up to that point? It's tennis chains. Just a tennis, tennis, tennis chain, bracelet. A tennis, bra- <laughs> a diamond tennis bracelet that was like twenty nine dollars. Yeah, twenty nine dollars, <laughs> and and the customer was now wouldn't buy anything unless you gave them like triple discount. If yeah. like you were, it was Big like sales, yeah, like all this like now like conversion tactics that a lot of people will do to kind of drive uh, inventory. It now had like controlled the customer purchase behavior where they just know, hey, at some point I'm going to get this thing for fifteen. Exactly. You know, yeah. whatever it may be. So now, boy, oh boy, are we in some some deep water? Because now it's like, man. We're selling like one tennis chain that they will only buy when it's super discounted. And the other most totally unexpected thing was the entire market got flooded with jewelry, Mm -hmm. right? Since there was nothing really defensible as it was related to the jewelry um, because it was just kind of open source product that everybody had kind of seen the success of all the different jewelry brands online and just me too did all the way in there now now and they're drop shipping too yeah and they're drop shipping and, and a lot of those groups were going out and getting big rappers and celebrities and really getting like you know yeah. these much le- more impactful sort of earned media unfair advantages to drive down customer acquisition cost because you know i couldn't you know this is one of those i can't be like oh check out my <laughs> dude I out. <laughs> yeah you know what i mean which yeah. then here i am in this this very difficult place, you know, and I, and I think internally for us at that point, you know, it, it was the the first time that I had kind of come to this crossroad of like where the business didn't evolve. You know, I'm such an optimist on like forget about the risks or the position of it, right? It's like we're gonna make this thing dope. Like we don't have to like. Like it'll evolve there, but man, when it evolved back to just the tennis chain, it changed me as an entrepreneur. You know what I'm saying? Like it really changed me. Like, and me and Brian, it was like this, it is, you know, we ended up adding a fifth principle, right? We had four principles of the time of the type of businesses that we would do, a couple of which we overlooked in the development of St. Midas, but it, you know, I had an, I had initially called this principle, that you will be proud if it fails. Mm -hmm. So look at this idea. And if it fails, will you be proud? Now, I never brought that front facing, you know, in the machine because it sounds so negative, right? Where it's like, I think it's legit. No, it's legit in spirit, right? But like when I think about like, I would rather, you know, be from the position of we've never had a loss, right? Because up until this point, we still have never had a a company that has gone out of business. And and the idea of saying like, you'll be proud if it fails, to me felt like you were manifesting some failures in there that you were super proud of, right? But I'm, you know, for me, and we eventually changed that to like, 
that the business is going to make an impact, right? That it's more, whether that's on culture, the world, whatever it is, like it's more about creating something that's meaningful and sustainable and ultimately something that that we would be proud of, right? And and again, we really came to this crossroad of, of what to do, you know, and we stood down the barrel of like, you know, should we, just move on. Yeah. Should we take our first L? Yeah. Right. And and you were aware that it would have been a first L, right? Like I had no idea. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, so up until that point when we were just contemplating the the edge of it, mm-hmm. like you had no idea that like, hey, this would be their very first time that a company did not work. No, because firstly, I'm always extremely optimistic that like yeah. I'll figure out a way to do something. Yeah. You know, like I never like I knew like one way or another, I would make this work for you. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want it to be like, we might change completely to sell freaking underwear or something, but I'll make it work, you (laughs) know? And look, and I I think that's the core of like why I've always chose the do or die mentality first, right? Because it is that like, uh, you know, fortitude and grit and determination and ambition that doesn't allow things to, that is the never quit. Yeah. Right. And that was apparent, you know, n- not only throughout the process did you show your adaptability and, and this wide range of skill set, but more than anything, it was like, here's a, a new strategy and what we can attack and do to, to, to supplement that. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we chose to do. Right. And to me at that point, it was like, man, how do we, how do we now push it to where it's recognizable? We're like, let's make jewelry where if you wore it from across the room, like you would know that it was St. Midas, you know, and then you were like, got it, let's go. And, and then you brought an entirely new vision that we launched and, and let's talk about what, where that came from and, and what that turned out becoming. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, I was actually looking back at the history of it and right before we made the pivot, I checked out like revenue and we did pretty decent. We were up on revenue, but we were just like sales every single different day. Like someone's, someone's birthday sale, you know, it's, it's world day. It's like every single day we'd figure out a way, pizza day, figure out a way to like make a sale out of it. And it was just exhausting. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. I could tell that you guys weren't passionate about it anymore. So I like, that's the truth, right? Like it was, you know, it had changed me as a business person Mm -hmm. where it's like, I've got to put a new anchor. So this never happens. But that same energy as your co-founder and partner is in it. Mm -hmm. And now it's this like, you know, they, I've heard it referred to as like a zombie company, right? Where it's like, you know, it's just kind of like existing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you made that first initial change. What inspired it? just like wanted to make something that we're more proud of. Yeah. You know, like I was sick of the, I'm not a blingy uh, jewelry guy either. And what we were building didn't really make any sense to how our lifestyle was or anything that we'd be actually proud of. So um, you gave me a citrine crystal. Before we even went to that zone, we were in sort of the Nyjah collection and the the more... Right, the Roman, the the Roman, Roman style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, you f- hey, you forgot that we did a mid-pivot before the full pivot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we you did, know a, what I mean? we did a, a mid-pivot, you know, yeah. And talk to because it was like, we're going to go for this this distinct right. Roman v- vibe that connected back to sort of St. Midas and it had its own look and design style, like really going, you know, one of the bigger... What are, what are some of the bigger uh, jewelry lines? Like that Dave super, Yeoman. Yeah, like really going for like this 
distinct style mm-hmm. that would we would be recognized by. And boy, we overshot the mark. Yeah, well, I designed everything. It all looks great. It's like, amazing. It all looks great. Yeah. And um, everything was like Roman treasure feel. Yeah. And this like kind of, te- I actually love this ring. I, I still wear this ring, but it's like a textured, like buried kind of look. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that was, the. and to me, I'm, I was all I was th- all in with it, mm-hmm. right? Because I like it felt like Saint Midas had this early century, yeah. like mm-hmm. like Roman emperor sort of vibe, yeah. like. And then now you, it, it's like each one of these is like this amazing tre- like treasure that was pulled from like you know, it's like five hundred AD, yeah, you know, from I mean? royalty, like yeah, yeah. So, so um, we did that, and instead of doing out gold-plated jewelry that was terrible. We started manufacturing it out of Italian silver uh, in 95 <laughs> that cost so much to make, like uh, $50, $60 to make like one tiny little thing. And the manufacturing process was totally different. So that was a huge pivot in itself. Like we had this China manufacturing structure, very easy. We send them designs, they do it. They mass manufacture it, no problems. Now we're dealing with a manufacturer that's a jeweler and very patentic about how they want to have, want things to be and everything. And it was crazy. And so, where, was, where, did, where was that jeweler? That was in Bali. That's what I'm saying. We went from like this, this like, you know, mass produced source of like overcorrected all the way to like a family jeweler in Bali yeah. where it's like, oh, we got to wait. They're on like vacation this yeah, week. No, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and again, but beyond that, we now got like $150 pieces where it was like we were just like only could move yeah. on sale tennis chains. And all of a sudden we, we drove changed, this entire thing completely. And again, as your partner and not wanting to lose and wanting to like get to like being excited and proud about it, I backed it, loved it, yeah. pushed it, was with it. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but again, Knew that we were we were chasing a super difficult pivot to just go to like now this ultra premium price point, mm-hmm. but just was desperate, desperate now. Yeah. To be proud of the brand. Yeah. Right. And that that's really why it was like, okay, like this, this is at least like a better, cooler story. Yeah. But it still wasn't the right thing and not working. Yeah. We knew it immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it wasn't like a, a, an amount of time before, like it was like, let's think about adding a further dimension mm-hmm. to the overall brand. Now, now talk about where that now the third pivot <laughs> or the second pivot came from. Well, actually that initial Italian jewelry pivot was from my mind, from a performance marketing mindset, it's like the price is more expensive, but we have more money to acquire a customer with. Yeah. So that was my thinking of it. And then the the biggest downside of it was just like, we didn't have enough time, you know, time to build a brand like that would just take years of us kind of slowly seeding it out to celebrities and building up that real uh, kind of brand behind it to justify customers paying $150, $200 for a piece, uh, which we didn't, we didn't have the time. We're running out of money, but that really set us on the course to that final direction, which kicked off when you gave me that crystal, the citrine crystal. And what did I tell you when I gave you that crystal? Take this and abundance will flow through you. No, oh, it was great. Great. I'm glad you had something for me. Like, you know, and 
for me, this is all based off of, you know, my wife uh, dragging me to the house of intuition, a crystal shop. And I was just like, can someone just point, where's the one that makes you wealthy? Right. And they're like, oh, it's this one right here. It's citrine. It's an abundance stone. That particular store there's no real method to the madness. It was just a mindset thing, you know, where it's like, oh, there's all these different sort of things and they have this this meaning as being like given to me through this. And I got that abundance stone for myself and mm-hmm. in, in life started changing. You know what I mean? I started just, I mean, wealth was just started pouring in left and right. Mm-hmm. So I started to get on this, this mission of like, I'm going to give it to every one of my partners, you know what I mean? Like, let this stone bring you wealth, right? Because at the end of the day, like, you you got to believe that you were meant to be wealthy and abundant for it to actually show up, right? So it was already something that I really, really enjoyed because it's the magic part of of life and kind of the whole idea of art, science, and magic. Mm-hmm. And, and what did that do ultimately that began to lay the framework for what the brand would become? Yeah. Well, firstly, I fully believe in like the power of not necessarily crystals, but the meaning behind it, you know, having a symbol of something that reminds you to be abundant. And that was like, I was, I would always meditate before that. And then now when, after you gave me that, I've just got it there meditating on it. And then it like kind of clicked, like, let's build a line that's more about the intention of things. So let's put this crystal intention into a piece of jewelry. So like if it's a compass, it's not just a compass pendant, it's a compass that gives you direction. When you wear it, you are reminded to stay on on your path. Um, Or it's a shield for protection, you know, like there's some haters out there hating on you, you got the shield, don't worry, like you're protected. So Yeah, and look, and for me, it's now the first time that like... I'm into it. Mm -hmm. I'm now like, cause even, you know, the transition to the, the, you know, more treasure style jewelry made me feel good. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, Oh, this is like, this is like right up my, like, this is making me excited. I remember calling and we're just talking through, it could be all, you could build it, you know, all the different things. And like when you get it, which led to like the packaging and you pull it up and it tells you what you're going to get at. Like now it had finally for me, at least evolved to a place where now if this just didn't work, I was good. You know what I mean? I could, I, I felt good of like, we created this amazing line of like all the jewelry is, uh, based off the story of like the angel that visited King Midas Mm -hmm. and blessed him with the golden touch. And each one of these pieces, uh, were jewelry that have built in intentions that, uh, to keep you focused on your path and your, your future that you're going to create your, uh, I could, I could connect with that, uh, falling apart. Right. You know, I could tell the story of that one of like, Hey, how we got here but fortunately it was also at a time where you uh, had been dabbling in retail Mm -hmm. and ultimately found that retail rather than the performance marketing and direct to consumer Mm -hmm. was a real opportunity for this new concept yeah and just to backtrack we had zoomies going for a while and it just wasn't hitting like all our jewelry we were competing with another brand in there that was very similar we were getting like these little pity orders, I, fe- I felt like. And then that's why I was just like, screw it. We'll just change completely. Whatever. We're not, this isn't really building. Let's just change completely. And then when we changed and then evolved, and then it wasn't until we created this, the latest line with the intention cards in them that started, the sell through just started going crazy. 
and um, we started evolving our jewelry to that to that point, and even our old stuff with intentions uh, matched to it was just working. And uh, the overhead involved in a direct to consumer company is huge. Yeah, you know, just the constant marketing, creative conceptions, operations, all these things were huge, and we're finding that this balance between wholesale and and online that we've kind of struck now, which is a really clean operation from an operation standpoint. And and what did it feel to like finally like man like when the sell through happened and then like boom then these these big orders started coming down like what what did it feel like after you know this chaos uh, that we had sort of gone through. And now like, wow, like there is like this sort of evolution is now working and selling through a retail. What was that like? It's like the first time everything's ever gone right in your life. You know, like (laughs) everything I would do just sucked. Like it just like, am I like terrible at this job? Like, should I quit? Like go work at Walmart, you know, like, and like that was really like the first time that felt like, oh my God, like let's keep working on this. Let's, let's like, we've learned so much in the past of what our mistakes of mistakes were. And then now we're finally like at this point where we have a clean operations in the business and we can kind of grow this and let's not squander the opportunity. And so. for you, like, what do you say to people, you know, that go through something similar? Like, where did you go to like not give up? Right. Because at the end of the day, it's still like it still was on you to keep fighting. And like, even though like we're we're evolving mm-hmm. and look, and there was a commitment um, on my side, too. Right. Because even sure. we had to to, you know, make one more shot to capitalize this new new version, too. Right. Because it was like, man, like the the last of the capital was for the treasure jewelry mm-hmm. and it it didn't work. And it was like, okay, but I love this idea. Right. So, so even for me as your capital partner and co-founder, man, I just, man, let's take one more, let's take one more shot at like ultimately letting it be something that we could both be proud of, but you never wavered the entire time. You know what I mean? If, Maybe it might seem that way to you. Yeah. But I was wavering back there. You know, and, and to me, it shows that grit and determination, that fortitude, you know, of, of really what it takes to really find success, you know, and, and the fact that you really, you know, ultimately chose for that not to be the path is the reason that, you know, God bless. We're out here splitting dividend checks now, you know, now you really marched it to a profitable business, you know, which was always our intent in the very beginning. And, you know, I guess for me too, it, it's super gratifying just to, to get a check, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause it was like, finally, you know, you know, cause you're building the company for one or two ways, right? Like you're building it, uh, to be highly profitable and, and split dividends or you're creating equity value and selling it for a multiple. Right. And boy, is it nice to get a check, man. You know, How did it feel to even, cause I mean, I feel like you text me like, Hey, checks on the way. I just want you to know checks coming through. Hey, have you heard there's a check coming through? I, I uh, waited until Christmas day to purposely send it to you on Christmas. Is that, is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> I could have got it to you a little bit earlier. Yeah, uh, I forgot. I forgot <laughs> that you really saved it for Christmas day. That's yeah. remarkable. Um, <laughs> it felt better paying you than it did myself. Yeah. You know, I don't know like how to 
how to say it any other way, but it's like the feeling of actually being able to get to a point where it's just like not me getting a, a bit of a wage. It's actually now we're cutting a dividend check and I'm able to pay you and we're able to actually like be proud of like now what this has become. All of this failure was for, wasn't for nothing. Yeah. You know, and, and I, honestly, like I wouldn't trade a lot of it just like all the learning curves we went through even together you know you changed the way that you invest in businesses yeah i changed the way that i'll forever start a business or look at a business um yeah and look that's the beauty of the game you're you know you don't there are no you know it's cliche uh that there is no failure but you just learn so much mm -hmm. every single day every week every month every year and this just compounds uh over time so yeah no i don't even i i love it more for the story of like let's fight it out and get it into i love the idea that it wasn't a pivot to just survive mm -hmm. but it was in fact a pivot to be proud yeah you know what i mean a pivot of passion it is and and today i am proud and i'm ultimately thankful uh to you that you really uh fought to get it to where it is today and, and i'm excited about the future well it wouldn't be without uh you and brian and the whole dirt machine team so like there's literally no way that it would have got to this point you know um just the support uh, right from the beginning, even like Brittany building that model, Brian getting that back, like all the way through yeah. you with the branding side, just like we'd be just dead in the water. You yeah. Know? Well, look, we did it. And, and I look forward to the, the the future lessons that we share on this show together. Yeah. Man. So yeah, I appreciate you till the next time. For sure. Thank you, dude. All right. Appreciate it. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer dyer and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the Deerdick Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. You got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build With Rob.